All right, good morning, Three Circle Church. Uh, great to have all of you here today and those of you joining us online at all of our campuses. It's gonna be a great day as we dive into week two of the Thriving in Babylon series. Two resources I wanna remind you of as we're in this series. Number one, it's a book by our friend Larry Osborne, great author, written a bunch of best-selling books, but I think this is his best, about thriving in Babylon. So we'd love for you to pick up this book. Now, we sold out of them last week at uh, all the campuses, so you gotta order it, but if you jump on Amazon or anywhere, if you want a book recommendation, this is a good one, it'll help you so much. And then we have a podcast, and the podcast drops midweek every week. The first one for the Babylon series is out right now. You go to your app, go to Three Circle, and you want to check that out. Multiple voices each week are going to be diving deeper into what we're talking about when it comes to Babylon and how we can not just survive it, but thrive in it. So let's dive into the material today. Last week, we began looking at, and we're going to primarily stay in three Old Testament books, Habakkuk, Daniel, and Jeremiah. And these books begin to tell us, others too. I mean, this is a major event. It's hard to even understand the Old Testament without understanding the Babylonian exile. It takes up a lot of space. It's a really big deal. And the, the reason it's so important among many is that it tells you something about God as well and our relationship with him. God is our father and he disciplines us individually and he will discipline us collectively. And he does this with the people of Israel. And so the way this went down is God had his little nation, his people. He rescues them from Egypt. By the time they leave Egypt, we've got a million to two million people. This is a major bunch of people. And God takes them through 40 years in the wilderness, then into the promised land. Then they end up with kings. Uh, we go King Saul, King David, then King Solomon. But then everything got a little squirrely. Everything went sideways. And, and God's people turned away from him, and not just away from him, but to false idols. And they began to worship the same false gods that the people around them did, and God warned them. You can write it down. God repeatedly warned his people to repent, or they would suffer the consequences. Now, that's something we don't like to talk about much more. We don't want to talk about the judgment of God. We don't want to talk about the discipline of God. But you can't know him without that. The Bible says you're not a good parent if you don't discipline your kids. God never tells the children of Israel that they're not his kids anymore, but he will discipline them and, so, and, and, and harshly because it was a big deal. And, and he took it very personally. So if you have an agnostic view of God where you think God is, is real, but he doesn't get involved in the affairs of humans, well, that flies in the face of what we see uh, in, the, in the accounts of the Babylonian exile. God tells Jeremiah, hey, this is personal to me. My people have turned away from me. So I don't want you to think this was an overnight thing. And you're like, boy, he's overreacting here, isn't he? No, no, no. This had been years, decades and decades of God warning his people through the prophets, you need to turn to me or this is not going to go well for you. And so God allows the Babylonian exile to happen. Now, Babylon was this wicked, wicked group of people and a kingdom that was about as bad as you can imagine. In fact, it's so bad that Babylon, we, we talked about it in the podcast this week and in our small groups, Babylon is not just a place on a map, it becomes this thing, this idea that embodies wickedness and idolatry. We see First John really give you the values of Babylon when he says it's the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh and the pride of life. It's satanic. The book of Revelation points to Babylon as a harlot and the mother of all harlots. That's <laughs> pretty serious stuff, all right? 
So we don't just have a, a place, we have an idea, a system, a value system. And all of it is right here in Babylon. And God allows Babylon to be the tool he uses to discipline his people. And so what we're going to look at today is an attribute of God that we desperately need to know as Christians. It is foundational to the Christian faith. In fact, you don't have the Christian faith without what we're going to talk about today. But as, as we studied and prepared for this, I want you to know my heart in this. My hope is, number one, that you'll understand what we're going to talk about. But I also hope that you'll like it. Because today we're talking about the sovereignty of God. And the sovereignty of God is an absolute foundational piece of what we believe about God. But the sovereignty of God can cut both ways. It can comfort you or you can let it discomfort you. And my hope today is not that you'll just leave agreeing that God is all powerful. That's not enough. I want every believer in this room and every believer joining us online to not just leave believing God is in control and sovereign over all things. I want you to be happy about that. I want you to be joyful about that. And I want it to change the way you live life. That's my hope. Because what we're going to see is the sovereignty of God changed how Daniel lived. And it's how Daniel and his buddies were able to not just survive in Babylon, but to thrive. So let's go to Daniel 1, 1 through 2 again. Remember, Daniel is the guy who tells us his story as he's a faithful teenager in the beginning going through the Babylonian exile. Now you remember what happened to he and his buddies before we read this. The, the Babylonian exile takes place and he and his buddies were ripped away from their homes, probably physically maimed permanently. Very possibly they, they themselves became eunuchs uh, forcibly. Uh, we don't know that for sure, but it would, they would be the exception to the rule if they were not. These young men got their names taken from them. They were given new names. They were forced to go to three years of Babylonian indoctrination. You see it all right there in the scriptures. All of this to serve a wicked king. I mean, this is as traumatizing and as abusive as it gets. And yet these young men are gonna live out their faith in front of the Babylonians. So in Daniel 1, 1 through 2, it says this. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar in the house of his God and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Now, do you see what happened here? They win the battle with Jerusalem. We know they destroy Jerusalem, including Solomon's temple, tear it all to the ground, tear the walls down. You know that. It's all torn to pieces. They are taking the Israelites, and including their best young men like Daniel and his buddies, into slavery. And the Bible says here that they, they take the precious, sacred things from the temple just to showcase it. They take it back to Shinar, to their own capital, to their own temple, to their false gods. And you look at that and you're going, my goodness, where is God? How, how did this happen? But I want you to notice something Daniel said. And as we look at his story today, you're going to see Daniel keeps pointing us to the sovereignty of God. Because when we ask ourselves, how in the world did a 15-year-old young man and his buddies stand strong when all of that's happening to them? How did they make it? How do you thrive in Babylon? Listen. A rock-solid belief in the sovereignty of God is what Daniel was holding to. Notice what he says. You may want to get your pen out and underline it in verse 2. He said, the Lord gave. 
That's sovereignty. Daniel's looking at the worst catastrophe in the entire Old Testament for God's people. And yet, he sees God. He sees God's hand. He's looking for his hand. He believes that God gave this, that God allowed this. See, what this means is Daniel believed in the sovereignty of God, but he didn't just believe it. It changed the way he lived his life. It impacted the way he lived. And that's what, it need, what needs to happen for us. Because if we say we believe in God's sovereignty, but, but yet we live in fear and we live in anxiousness and we're worried about every election changing the whole world and we're scared this is going to happen. And, and, and if you're waking up every day as a Christian going, I'm just terrified of the kind of world my kids are growing up in and the world that my grandkids are going to grow up in and you just live in such gripping fear, I've got good news for you. God is sovereign. He's sovereign. Daniel's waking up in a world, by the way, that he's never going to get out of. It's never going to get good for Daniel. Daniel's never going to wake up and go, oh, it's all okay now. It's just bad. And yet Daniel says, I could see the hand of God. Larry Osborne in his book says this, when the Lord is behind everything, it changes everything. In other words, you could say it like this, God is in control of who is in control. Now here's the thing about God's sovereignty if we believe that, if we're not careful, we will begin to say this. We'll say, unlike Daniel, because Daniel believed God was in, in charge of everything and that helped him trust and that gave him confidence and it will end up giving him courage. He's like, throw me in the lion's den, God's sovereign. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego will famously say, throw us in the fiery furnace. Listen to this if you want to hear some good theology. I don't know which one of them said it, but one of them said, O king, we know he can protect us from the fire, but even if he does not, we will not bow down. Now that's sovereignty. Because they're not saying, oh, he'll save us from the fire. They're just going, we know he can. But if you burn us to ashes, he's still sovereign. That's, that is a belief in the sovereignty of God that has not just been mechanical. They're not just good theologians. They're living what they believe. Any of you been uh, thrown in a fiery furnace lately? So if you want to think these are weak guys that are just kind of going along with the old Nebuchadnezzar flow and they're not standing strong enough, any of you been thrown in lines in lately? These guys lived it out. Why were they able to be so confident? Because these four young men believed God was sovereign and that impacted how they lived their lives. God is in control of who is in control. That's what he says here. God was in control of Nebuchadnezzar taking taking over. And see, that helps us, especially in this good that we're doing the Babylon series right before an election cycle. Because <laughs> if you're not careful, you'll forget this. God's in control of who's in control. And it doesn't matter who sits on whatever throne. God is in control. Let's, let's go on with the narrative here because the Bible tells us as all of this was happening, all of this horrific, nightmarish stuff is happening to Daniel and his friends. Here's what happens with him. It says in verses one, eight through nine, but Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. Verse nine, don't miss it. And God gave their sovereignty. Do you see what Daniel, 
Daniel sees sovereignty everywhere. God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. Verse 15, at the end of the 10 days, it was seen that they were all better in appearance and fatter in flesh. Back then, if you got fatter, it was like a good thing. (laughs) Well, there was one good thing about those days, I guess, right? Like, man, that's good. Anyway, I don't want you to miss the really good details in the scriptures, guys, you know? Fatter in flesh and all the youths who ate the king's food, verse 16. So the steward took away their food and the wine they were to drink and gave them their, their diet, vegetables, verse 17. As for these four youths, don't miss it, God gave, everybody say it, God gave them learning and skill and all literature and wisdom and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. And at the end of the time, when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke with them, and among all of them, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore, they stood before the king. And in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all of his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus, meaning he's going to be there a long, long time. But don't miss it. Don't miss this, watch. Daniel does not just see the hand of sovereignty over the discipline of God's people. God God is over the exile, and Daniel says, yep, I know God is not out of control. He's the one that delivered us into exile, but he's also quick to show you God's sovereignty and provision for him while he's in the exile. He says, you know who gave us favor? God did. God did. See, God was sovereign over the discipline and over provision, both. And so we as Christians have to become people who look for it and and not just see it, but rejoice in it. Daniel wanted you to know, let me tell you why the eunuch gave us permission to eat our diet and not theirs. That doesn't happen. See, Daniel can see God's hand. He's like, that doesn't just happen. That should have never happened. That eunuch would have never done that for anyone. And Daniel goes, I'll tell you why it happened. Because my God went with us into the exile. He didn't just send us in there. He was with us in Babylon. He was with me and I saw his hand providing for me even then. That's why. And he goes with us too. The same God, this is the same God. He is immutable, meaning he does not change. God doesn't change. The same God that provided for Daniel is the same God who provides for us. Don't miss this though. Sovereignty has both sides. The same God who disciplined Israel will also discipline us. And look, I am under no illusions. I absolutely believe we live in a world and a nation that right now is experiencing the judgment of God. I do believe that. But that's not something for you to go, oh no. Oh no, no, no. The same God who disciplines also provides. And we wake up in a world like the Israelites did that we don't even recognize, but we do not have to be afraid. Because our God is in control and will help us. Remember what we read last week? God told his people, when you get to Babylon, I want you to build houses. I want you to plant gardens. I want you to get married. I want you to raise beautiful families. Then I want them to get married. I want you to have kids. I want you to do what you do to the glory of God right there in the middle of that darkness. I don't know why God in his sovereignty decided to drop me and you on the planet right now. Maybe you wish you would have been dropped at another time. Here's, here's, our, here's our moment. And like Christians who were under Nero and Rome, like Christians who were under every dictator and every bad regime that's ever come along, like 
The believers in Babylon with Daniel and his buddies, you and I are supposed to wake up every day and shine bright and live and raise our families and love our communities and love our cities and care and be concerned and get involved, but not be afraid. And and how do we do that? Sovereignty. This attribute of God that has so much more to do with our daily lives than we realize. Sovereignty. Do we believe God is sovereign? Charles Spurgeon said that the theological pillow upon which he laid his head at night was sovereignty. The thing that made him sleep like a baby every night as a Christian, with the world going crazy around him. You know, Spurgeon had all kinds of stuff going on. Spurgeon was preaching over in England against American slavery. Do you know that? And in towns like Mobile, Alabama, Charleston, South Carolina, they would have Spurgeon sermon burnings. Because back then, his sermons were going all over the world in paper. They'd all get together and have a fire, burn Spurgeon sermons. And I'd get all upset if someone takes a shot at me on Facebook. (laughs) Spurgeon had a lot going on. How did he sleep at night? He said, you ready? Spurgeon said, I'll tell you how I slept every night. Sovereignty. When I went to bed at night, I believed that my God was sovereign. I wasn't sovereign. The world around me was going crazy at times, but he was sovereign. Sovereignty is so important for us to understand. So what is it? What is sovereignty? The Westminster Confession, one of these ancient confessions throughout our faith and churches and movements uh, throughout time have said, let's, let's clarify, what do we believe? What do we believe? And they said this, they said, God did freely and immutably ordain whatsoever comes to pass. Ordain means he's over. It means nothing has slipped out from under his sovereignty. Uh, Proverbs 19, 21 says, many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purposes of the Lord that will stand. So like at the end of the day, you can do whatever you want to do and you do have choices and we do make real choices, but God's big historical plan is moving forward and you're not stopping that. And, And as Christians, we go, thank goodness. No thing, no person, no kingdom, nothing's ever going to derail the forward movement of the plans of our God. That's good news. Okay, remember, so I'm gonna keep giving you the mechanics because all I'm doing here is I'm showing you the engine of the sovereignty of God. I'm going, there's a radiator and there's the carburetor and there's the hoses and there's the cylinders. I'm gonna give you the mechanics. That is not enough. I don't want you to leave here today and go, God's in control. I want you to leave here today and go, thank goodness, glory be to God that my God is sovereign and in control. And I'm going to sleep like a baby and I got great joy because my God is sovereign. That's what I want. I don't want you to just know he is. I want you to be glad he is. I want you to be happy that he is. Now, allow does not equal approval. I want to make sure you understand that. This is very important. We can spend weeks on this, this part because One of the natural things that comes up, again, is if you say, well, if God is sovereign and over all things, then why did he let this happen? If God is over all things, why does he let this? And why does he let that? And why does that guy get to act like that? And and, and why does my team not have a good quarterback? You know, all those those questions. (laughs) If God is sovereign. (laughs) Eh, you know you're thinking it. I'm talking about the important things in life. The 
natural question that comes out of God's sovereignty for us humans is, well, if he's in control, then, then wait a minute, what, what about, what about, what about? And I want you to understand that allow does not mean approval. God, is, God does not applaud Babylon for their wickedness. But God uses them. By the way, God's going to discipline them. He, he's going to judge them, not discipline them. He will judge them and wreak havoc and punishment. He will bring Babylon to the ground with another kingdom. Just a few decades later, God's moving the chess pieces. Okay? So I want you to understand that we do live in a fallen world where wicked things happen and bad things happen. And here is our joy as Christians even though there's great mystery. And sometimes we'll go, please stop. Like we can ask him to. And sometimes he does intervene. The question, listen, the way we should view this is not why does God not always intervene the way I want him to? The question we should be asking is why would he intervene at all? Because we didn't deserve any of that. And really, if you want the greatest intervention, we go, why in the world, when we started this whole mess with our own sin and rebellion and we continue to act on us, we can't keep blaming Adam and Eve. Can't keep blaming the naked people in the garden. We act on our own sin natures. Why in the world would he send his only begotten into this world to intervene? So he's already like, if he does, never, never intervenes again, he has intervened on our behalf. And God promises that he will. Like This is part of faith. We know he tells us, he's like, I will make everything right. There is coming a day where I will make everything right and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is king. That day is coming. And we rejoice in that as Christians too. While we wake up in Babylon. While we wake up going, this is a tough place, right? In our own version of Babylon. We hold to the sovereignty of God. Now, how important is God's sovereignty? It's this important. It's this foundational. If God is not sovereign, then God is not God. That's how foundational. If you don't have a sovereign God, you don't have a God. The God of the Bible is sovereign. He is. There is no exception to his sovereignty. Let me tell you what that means. That means that God has never said, my bad. You know why that's important? Never. You understand, if there's ever been a moment in history that God said, my bad, then we're all in trouble. Because if there can be one, my bad, there could be two and three and a million of them. You understand that? This is why it's important for us to think as Christians. He is sovereign He's sovereign over all. He's not God if he's not sovereign. R.C. Sproul, one of my favorite theologians ever, had this quote. Man, I wish I would have thought of this. R.C. Sproul said, there are no maverick molecules. What does he mean? 
Let's talk about that. There are no maverick molecules. Now, molecules, just think the smallest thing you can imagine. You can't see it with your eyes. You gotta get all these microscopes to see it. What Sproul's saying in the Bible would teach is there's never been a, a moving molecule that ever got out from under God's sovereignty. He knew right where it was, right where it was moving all the time, and it did so underneath his permission, underneath the rule and reign of God. Every molecule that's ever existed moved underneath his permission, and if there's ever been one maverick molecule for a millisecond that slipped out from under his knowing sovereignty, his reigning sovereignty, then you can never trust him again then you can take your Bible and drop it off somewhere because you can't trust a word it says if there's ever been a single molecule that went rogue. But there never has been. The Bible says all things were made for him and by him. That all things are held together by his hand. So here's what we believe as Christians. No maverick molecules. Meaning that not only has there never been a rogue maverick molecule, there's never been a rogue maverick event. There's never been a rogue maverick moment in your life. There's never been a moment where God said, oops, ever. And, and that gives us Christians, that gives us so much confidence and peace and joy. It should. That's my hope for you today. Because you don't have to walk out of here and wonder, did God realize that was gonna happen? Because if anyone could have ever thought that, Daniel could have. Daniel could have awakened every day going, why? Why? I'm one of the good guys. Why me? But instead, he just keeps pointing in his own words to God gave, God gave, there he was. He gave us, he gave us favor. He helped me understand dreams. Can you imagine when old King Nebi, who wasn't, you know, all the French fries weren't in the, the, the meal there. I'm just telling you, Nebi was all over the place. Can you imagine when Neb, Nebuchadnezzar calls them all in? Because he loved, they were really superstitious. And he's got these magicians. Half of them are demon-possessed probably, and some of them are just playing tricks with him. And they can't figure out anything. And here comes Daniel. The Bible tells you this good-looking young man who has been mistreated and abused, dehumanized, and he walks in and he's 10 times better, smarter, wiser than anyone Nebuchadnezzar has ever met. And Daniel could have easily said, and I showed them. He could have easily become self-centered. I showed them, I am a smart guy. They can't take that away from me. They can take everything else, but not that. He could have went on Facebook and blasted everybody. Instead, he gets out his writing materials and he says, God, the God who disciplined my nation gave me the ability to understand stuff no one else could understand. And I give him the glory. He saw sovereignty and he rejoiced in sovereignty. It got him up every day. It gave him confidence every day. It got him through another day. Psalm 99 and one tells us this. Well, before we go there, let's, let's, before, because I know I'll mess up this blank here. Let's, let's do this. Sovereignty, let's define it, is the absolute, active, and continual reign of God over everything. That's how we'll define it in a biblical way. It's absolute. There is no such thing as a rogue molecule. It's active, meaning God is absolute. That's what Daniel's saying. God gave us this. God gave us that. So God went to Babylon with them. And 
Not only that, but it'll never end. It's continual. It's ne- you're never going, listen, there's not a term limit on God's sovereignty. You're not going to wake up one day and go, hey, he's been sovereign for a long time. That changes now. It's never going to change. He's always going to be sovereign. We'll go to both sides of it. Let's go to Psalm 103, 19 first. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. There is one kingdom over all. Jesus told us to pray for that kingdom to come and his will be done. Then let's drop down to Psalm 99.1. Just a statement that comes at us like a hammer. You ready? The Lord reigns, period. The Lord reigns. And here's how we should react. Let the people tremble. He sits enthroned upon the cherubim. Let the earth quake. In other words, we should shake underneath just the thought that our God reigns. And do you know if that statement's true, and we believe it is, if God reigns and he reigns alone, then that means Satan does not reign. And it means rulers do not actually reign. And it means government parties don't actually reign. And it means false ideologies that run rampant in our world now, whether it be sexual ideologies, whether it be ways of thinking, all of that stuff that seems to be so pervasive. It's like, this has taken over our world. No, it is not. It can do a lot of things, but at the end of the day, God is still on his throne and over all things. We rejoice in that. It doesn't mean we're not concerned. It doesn't mean we're passive. Oh, no, 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 no. Lion's dens and fiery furnaces don't happen because you're passive. No, we stand, we draw the lines, but we rejoice that God is sovereign and he reigns. But now the question may come up, well, hang on, Chris, if, if there is a being, if God, this God we're talking about is all powerful, well, then how do we know? Because you may be saying, I'm with you, Chris. I, I, I see that we live in a fallen world. So instead of saying, why does this stuff happen? We rejoice that he's over it all like Daniel did. But how do we know that a God who is all powerful will always do good? How do I know he's always going to do right? What if he wakes up in a bad mood? Okay, Let me, I'm going to try my best to help you understand this in a way that will be helpful. So when I was a kid in the mid-80s, I got one of these. Yeah, that guy right there. It was the best gift I ever got at Christmas. I was so excited about it. And where I lived, I had a little house. And then my grandparents' house was one quarter mile. It was a quarter of a mile, dirt, gravel road from my house to theirs. And that was like my racetrack of life in this thing, right? I had so much fun. Never wore a helmet. This was the 80s where we didn't bubble wrap people. It was great. And so, but there was one thing my granddad and my dad, I didn't know until later, they had a conversation. They're like, hey, Chris is going to wrap that thing around a tree if we don't get involved. He will, there will be no limit to what he'll do. He's going to end up in barbed wire fences. He's going to hit cows. This is going to be bad. So you know what they did without telling me as a kid? They knew that there was this thing on the engine called a governor. Governor. And they went and they toggled that thing down. It would only go so fast. Now, I thought I was, I mean, I'm just running that thing. And I thought, this, this thing's so fast. I didn't know it could have gone a whole lot faster. There was a lot left in the tank. And I didn't figure that out. In one of our gatherings earlier, the guy told me he had the same thing, but he figured it out and he put a string on his governor and when he had raced his friends, he'd get going and they would think they're gonna win and then he'd pull the string, release all this gas and then the engine like a turbo. I'm like, as a 10-year-old. 
was like, well, why didn't I think of that? But I didn't think of that. Now watch, my dad and my grandfather knew that I had to be governed. I couldn't do it myself. My character, I, I couldn't self-check. I needed someone checking me, okay? Now watch this with God. God alone, by the way, self-governs his own sovereignty. How? His own character. Watch, how can I know that God will never do something wicked and evil and will only do good because that's who he is. And he never self-violates his character. And one of the great proofs that he will not self-violate his own character is the cross. Because the cross of Jesus says to you that he will not bend. He will not change things just to make it work for everybody. He didn't change things. He didn't just dismiss your sin like it never happened. Jesus paid for every sin that ever was committed by a believer on the cross. Why did the cross happen? Because God is just and loving. And he's less just if every sin's not accounted for. And that same God, you can trust him because he will never do something wicked because he's good. And he's never gonna wake up one day in a bad mood and say whoops for the afternoon. He's never gonna do that. So you and I, not only do we lay our head on the pillow of his sovereignty knowing that he's over everything, we also lay our head on the pillow of sovereignty because we know he's always good and right and kind and gracious and will always do the right thing because he will never break his own character. He never has, he never will. That's good news. This is the best news. So God self-governs his sovereignty by his wisdom, justice, and mercy. That's character attributes. Romans eleven thirty three 33 says, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments, how inscrutable his ways. And then Romans nine fourteen says, What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. So God's always going to do the wise and right and good thing, and he's never going to be unjust because this is who he is. And it leads us to this last New Testament thing. It's all pointing to God's sovereignty. So we just showed you Daniel saying, here's God's sovereignty, here's God's sovereignty, here's God's sovereignty. And then we saw the Psalms, sovereignty, sovereignty, sovereignty. And, and here, Paul in Romans in the New Testament celebrates his sovereignty in maybe one of the more famous ways. Look at this. And we know, does that say we think? Does that say we hope? It does not say we hope. It does not say we think. It says what? Help me out, everybody. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Now listen, two things. The only explanation for Daniel being able to thrive in Babylon is he believed in God's sovereignty. And the only explanation for that verse we just read, how can God work everything together for the good of those He's sovereign. And we rejoice in that, amen? He is sovereign. Lord, thank you for your sovereignty today that we celebrate. May we not just believe it. May we live in light of it to your glory in Jesus' name.